from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. It seems nearly everywhere you look in the Portland area, you can see the heavy toll the pandemic has taken on Portland's houseless residents. The pandemic has led to a humanitarian crisis, leaving many without sufficient shelter, food, sanitation and services. The city's promised help is on the way in the form of six organized legal camps dubbed safe rest villages throughout the city. Housing Commissioner Dan Ryan announced the plan in June and has said the city's on track to open the villages by the end of the year. Here to give us more details on what the villages will include, how they'll work, and where they'll be located, I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. Welcome back to Straight Talk, Commissioner. It's always nice to have you here. It's great to see you, Laurel. I'm excited to do some straight talk with you. <laughs> great. Well, Commissioner, this plan, as you know, is highly anticipated. How would you describe the homeless crisis in the city right now? How much are these villages needed? Portlanders are well aware of we're experiencing a humanitarian crisis. You can see it with your own eyes everywhere you go. And that is why, since I've been in office in the last year, I really challenged uh, government officials and other entities to come together to really focus on what was missing in the continuum. Yes, housing, permanent housing is very necessary, but we really had a break between those who were suffering on our streets and not able to get into that permanent housing. And so that's why we promoted uh, Safe Rest Villages. It's really important to remember what this concept is. It's not tents. It's not just organizing a bunch of unsanctioned tents. It's actually moving people into shelters, into temporary shelters within a regulated secure space called the village. And in that they will have sanitation services, hygiene services, security, and then also most importantly, we'll be able to make connection with uh, case managers and behavioral health specialists, mental health specialists. There has been some concern about the timeline. Are you still on track to open them, all of them by the end of this year? Yeah, you know, I uh, Commissioner Maps oversees the Bureau of Environmental Services. And so we're just getting started and there'll be more to come. So we have the Hazelwood neighborhood, the one over on East Burnside. We have the Brentwood Darlington neighborhood on the 45th Avenue, one in Southeast, and then NATO Parkway in downtown Portland. Why these locations? These locations were selected. One, we wanted to make sure we had geographic reach. And two, we wanted to make sure we were meeting the houseless residents where they are. And so what we want to change is having unsanctioned uh, camping by our houses uh, community out on our streets in the public right away um, where they can be moved and relocated to these villages. And that I think most neighbors will see that that would be a vast improvement to what they're experiencing in their neighborhood today. We want to include the neighbors in this process. We want them to be the first ones to see the evolution of the village. And we hope that many of them will be volunteers. We also need to make a commitment to those neighborhoods that our impact reduction team will really be uh, focused on these areas to keep the surrounding area safe and secure. So I really do think it'll be a value added for those neighbors who are experiencing um, un unhoused, um, unsanctioned camping, which is causing environmental damage as well to our city, as well as um, people that really just need services. You said that you, you would encourage people to move to these villages. How will you encourage people who are homeless to move to one of these three villages now and then and three later? Yeah, our navigation team through the joint office is very skilled at uh, doing that type of communication. And we are, we've heard from the houseless community. 
that this is something, an on-ramp that they would be able to receive. Many do not want to be in traditional congregate shelters in a church basement and bunk beds. They like having their own little private pod, if you will, and then yet still having that connection. When you're suffering through behavioral health and mental health, one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest focuses one must look at is how you can have connection with community and also connection with those who are skilled to serve you. How and that will build the trust that they need. How tough has this process been, Commissioner, and when do you think we'll know the locations for the rest of uh, the other three locations? Yeah, it's, it's been difficult. And uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, when I decided to run for this position, I, I was one of those Portlanders that was frustrated and, and actually getting kind of angry with my hometown, um, just suffering through the lingering crisis. And this was before COVID. And uh, so I really just think that it's important for us to get moving. And I will say that um, I, I wanted to acknowledge the partners earlier, and there's more to announce, but you know we have to act with some urgency. You know, stalling's not in my uh, not in my repertoire, so I'm really just encouraged that the the team that we've built, the city's Safe Dress Village team, it's not in theirs either. So we think that through osmosis, others will get the let out and come along with us. Do you have a time frame for when you'll announce the the remaining three? Yeah, I have a tendency to just say this is the goal, and we're going to stay focused on that goal, and we're going to do our we're gonna do our best to get these open by the end of the year. And um, if we don't meet that goal, we'll just keep getting back up and keep pursuing. But you know, government needs to be more accountable to the people in our city. And we need to set goals, even if we don't meet them, we need to be accountable to them and then keep pursuing. So that was on me to say that, to have that high bar and stay focused on the prize and get the goal set. So no exact date to announce the, the remaining three, just want to get them out there before the end of the year. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, what I'm saying is that it's been challenging to uh, get these uh, these agreements written up, and I will say that uh, many have been moving. I'd say we had about 10 uh, balls in the air just about a week ago, and so I know that we should have a few more to announce soon. There has been discussion of a, a village for people who live in RVs or cars, possibly at the Expo Center. What's the status of that? That's been delayed. We've been in communication with Metro since February, many, many, many conversations. They have an 11 acre parking lot and uh, we weren't offered any of the paid parking lot. We were offered a grassy ditch area that's off the parking lot. And unfortunately that would take 1.5 million to redevelop that space. So we're hoping that uh, Metro will stay at the table and offer something that, uh, that we could put together. What about uh, the people who don't want to go to these villages? Would people be required to leave unsanctioned camps? You know, you're asking the million dollar question. There is a, there is a challenge with um, many on our streets uh, refusing service. And there's a whole host of complex reasons for that. But it, and there's also some in the houses provider community who have some fear about working with some of those on the streets. So that's a very long conversation that we have to be honest about. And I just know that my job in my lane was to get busy on focusing on some solutions. And this is part of the solution. So we needed to get, um, we needed to start with this. And then we will uh, also stay focused on uh, relocating the best we can. But we'll have to look at what that means as we go forward. Well, advocates for people who are homeless are concerned about how that might be enforced. They're concerned this will lead to more aggressive sweeps of camps, will it? Yeah, I'm not really, I don't really buy into the sweep or no sweep. I think this is about love. And yeah, it might sound like tough love, but we need to meet the houseless community on the streets. I've talked to many houseless people that are thanking me for, for pursuing this endeavor. 
they want rules. They want, many want rules. Many want security. Many want to feel safe. And so um, I do believe that that a lot of our houses community will welcome this. And I also think those are the same ones that will go on their own resilience path and they'll be much more successful once they're in permanent housing. We need to improve the, the sustained rate of people staying in permanent housing once they're inside. And we know that with proper uh, mental health and behavioral health um, wraparound services, which the voters passed in the Here Together measure, this is all lined up to come together. And Commissioner, will this be low barrier, the villages accepting of people with pets or regardless of conditions? There, most of them are start with an on-ramp that's low barrier, but with expectation to, to continue to build that resilience and go more towards high bar. And that will actually then be a better indicator that once they're housed, they'll be able to stay housed and, and get back into the workforce. And who says they won't be homeowners someday? Well, Scott Kerman, the executive director of Blanchet House in Old Town, was a guest last week here on Straight Talk. We talked about the villages. He supports them, but he and his team work with a lot of folks who might not feel these villages are for them. And he wants to make sure they're not forgotten. Let's listen to what Scott Kerman had to say. We appreciate that, that we're advocating for those people in our community. We want to make sure that they're not forgotten or left out. And we want to make sure that we have the resources and the support that we need to safely and effectively provide them services because they are literally fighting for their survival. What can you tell Scott Kerman and the people he serves about resources for them? I think we're all in this together. I think that this is really complex and I was happy to hear that Scott is highly supportive of the villages. I think we have to play this out. It's just the beginning and then we'll go from there. But staying with the status quo was not acceptable. And I look forward to always partnering with, with Scott and the good people at Blanchet House. And I gotta give them a lot of kudos for providing services throughout the pandemic. They never missed a beat. The city first declared the homeless situation an emergency under Mayor Hales back in September of 2015. <clears throat> it has been six years. It's only gotten worse, not better. And a lot of folks wonder what has taken the city so long to come up with a workable solution? How do you explain that? What have you learned since you have taken office? I think everyone was very focused on a very aspirational goal, which should never be taken off the table, which is housing first. I think it was important to knit this into it, into that system. And that is why I was advocating for a humanitarian response to what continues to get worse, as you said. And so that's, I think that the and of the improved village concept, shelter concept with services will help us actually improve the results that we need once we get more permanent housing on board. So I believe what I've done in my one year in office is, is shake up the, the system so that we can actually improve it by adding this to the, to the on-ramp. For our viewers and listeners, if you wanna dig a little bit deeper into what the villages are all about, take a look at those three locations we've been talking about. There is a new website you can check out. This is the web address portland.gov slash ryan slash safe hyphen rest hyphen villages you see it there and you can send in your comments to this email address at safe rest villages at portlandoregon.gov another crisis facing the city of portland is an epidemic of gun violence why isn't the city doing more to stop it we'll ask commissioner ryan when we come back Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. The city of Portland is experiencing a record number of homicides and shootings. The mayor has called it a pandemic of gun violence. A nine-year-old girl even addressed the city council last week 
pleading with city leaders to do more. It was my turn to bat when I saw them pull out guns and start shooting. We ducked behind it for less than two seconds. And as I was getting up to run farther away, a bullet shot about four to five feet to my right. I want to feel safe and I don't want to be suspecting that everyone is bad or a criminal. What is the city council doing about this? Once again, welcome to my guest, Commissioner Dan Ryan. Thanks again for being here, Commissioner. Yeah, this yeah, is a really tough issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty powerful to hear from a little girl and how close bullets came to her when she was out playing in a park. You know, it seems like nearly every day we're reporting on more shootings around the city. I think we're up to 925 or more so far this year. How do you feel about what you see happening in your city? Yeah, that testimony was gripping. And, you know, we all get messages from people that we love that have been in close fire as well. And so it's it's on the hearts and minds of all of us. And it really is important that we take uh, some more action. And so, you know, this is a national epidemic, but Portland's near the top. I think I just saw the report where it was Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then Portland, uh, number two, in terms of the spike over this past year. So there's several things that we're working on. We have the fall um, adjustment to our budget coming up. It's called the fall bump. And it's at the end of the first quarter, we can look at where we can repurpose some uh, investments on uh, with our budget. And I know the focus will definitely be on community safety. Uh, several things, one will be to take the Portland street response. Now that it's been in operation for six months and we have a report coming out, we can look at what we were hoping to look at back in May, but it was delayed, the program was delayed. So of course this has been delayed. So now we'll be able to uh, amp that up and, and and make it uh, expand uh, throughout the city. And I'm looking forward to being a part of that team that uh, expands that. The second is uh, there's discussions about adding more police officers. And there's been discussions about uh, bringing back retired police officers. I definitely want to. I definitely want us to hire more officers. I would like us to look into some of the younger officers that were more diverse in the in the police force that left the city. I'd love to try to get some of them back. I want to have officers that we can that we can deploy on the street and that can really work with the community. I was uh, working with Commissioner Rubio back in April when we passed the community investments to engage nonprofits in this solution because we need those communities that are closest to the victims of gun violence to be a part of the system. And when I look at places like Camden, New Jersey, where their clearance rate uh, for solving crimes is really high, much higher than anywhere else, their gun violence has gone down. And that's because there's trust between the communities that are impacted and the police force. So I wanna make sure that we hire and rehire people that are really focused on that type of community policing on the ground. Well, the Oregonian was pretty harsh about in its criticism of the city council on this issue. The Oregonian editorial board wrote last week, the gulf between what's being discussed at Portland city council tables and what's playing out in Portland neighborhoods could not be more apparent or disturbing. The council's long-term vision does not excuse its short-term sluggishness in facing this urgent, unyielding epidemic of violence. Commissioner, you've talked about some ideas why aren't you and the council moving with more urgency? Do you think you're doing enough, quickly enough? I think if we, we would deliver a comprehensive package in the fall bump in October, that's, a, that's really starting tomorrow. Um, that will definitely make it uh, mission critical that we're focused on the present gripping situation. So I, I do believe that the action that you will see over the next month will be pleasing to the views in that editorial. 
In a guest editorial in the Oregonian recently, Commissioner Mingus Maps pointed out, and going back to the number of police officers, currently the Portland Police minimum staffing model recommends 1,100 police officers. Today, Portland employs only 793 police officers. Do you agree the Portland Police Bureau is understaffed? And when you talk about hiring more officers, are you willing to add officers to those recommended staffing levels? I want us to start by getting up to the levels that are in the budget. So we also have a gap between how many are in the that we have budgeted for and how many don't exist. So we have a retention challenge. Um, we also have a, a up and running training challenge because of COVID. It set back some of the training uh, logistics that take place down in Salem. We as a system have to be more nimble. So once someone is hired, they can get on the streets much sooner than they are. Five months ago, you and your fellow commissioners refused to fund Mayor Ted Wheeler's plan for reviving a gun violence specialty police unit, instead voting to earmark millions for nonprofits and unarmed park rangers. Now looking at the surge in gun violence, was that the right move? I really think it's foundational. If you don't have a new approach and if you don't put in reforms, then you're not really listening to the to the, the people on the streets, but also listening to the communities that are most impacted. I think that investment was necessary and I do believe it was the first step and now it's time to add more officers to work with those that are engaged in the community. Commissioner Maps also said that Portland has a gang problem. He wrote about it in the Oregonian. He said Portland has a gang problem. Anti-police rhetoric has given way to a feeling of lawlessness and criminals are filling the void. Would you agree with that? Is there a gang problem? Uh, yes, there's been a gang problem for, for years, but it's uh, escalating of late. And what we we just need to make sure that uh, we stay focused on um, hiring more police officers, on working with the community groups that we um, that, that, that were part of the investments in April. And we got to get rid of this rhetoric of us versus them. Uh, we need to come together and focus on saving lives and allowing people to feel like they can be free to roam our streets, to roam our parks. We have people that are prisoners in their own home, whether it's in Old Town or in East Portland, and even in my neighborhood in North Portland. And so Portland needs these investments and we need to come together and, and be a part of the same community. And talking about coming together, morale among officers is at an all time low. Do you think the pendulum may have swung too far away from supporting officers that they need support? They feel like the city doesn't have their back. I think that we uh, had a reckoning that was necessary. I think that police brutality needed to be called out and it needed to be understood by the majority of the population. It's now time to continue to implement the training that will allow our officers to be more connected to the community on the ground. And we need to see one another as part of the same fabric. So I believe that um, it's just time to cooperate and work together. You won in a special election last year to fill the remainder of the late Nick Fish's term. So your term ends already at the end of next year and you'll be up for re-election with the primary coming up in May. As we all know, it has been a really tough year. Will you run again? Well, that was a tough uh, uh, decision to make, actually. It, 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 was, um, it was a tough year and uh, I knew it would be, but I would say that the attacks at my home personally to my spouse and I, and even more importantly, to the neighbors on my block, four of my closest neighbors are refugees that fled violence, uh, political violence in their own countries. And to experience that political violence on their own block was, was, was rough. 
So um, I feel like I had to check it out with the rest of the block as well. But I am just getting started. I love my city. I'm going to swing hard for her. She's in a lot of pain right now. And this hometown boy is ready to have a full term so I can really get more results for this city that I love. So is this your first official re-election announcement here on KGW Straight Talk that you're running again? Yeah, it's no secret that I'm um, I'm forming um, the campaign, but really my re-election is about staying focused on my job and moving the work and getting results for the city of Portland. I don't know why you'd want to get rid of somebody that's that's productive at a time where we need results. So this is an announcement, not just by you, but by your neighborhood. Did everybody say, okay, we're for you, we go for it again? <laughs> I did have to check in with a few, yeah. Yeah, and they assured me that, that they, they have my back. So but but most importantly, I had to make sure that my spouse was all in. And so why, why do you want to run again after all that you've talked about what, what happened at your house and, and your neighborhood and, and how tough it's been? Why do you want to do it again? It's my deep love affair with the city of Portland. And when you're born and raised here and you're a fourth generation Oregonian and you see that the city that you love is being trashed nationally, you go to a meeting in Eugene and they're celebrating all of the openings of the campuses across the University of Oregon, but one, and that's an old town, not because of COVID, because people don't feel safe. I have to, I have to serve my city if it's the last thing I do while I'm alive. And so that's why I'm doing it. It's an honor to serve and it's my duty to serve the city of Portland. Commissioner, I sense this is a pretty emotional for you to, to serve and, and to think about running again. Yeah, I think um, this is not a time to serve, to look good and build some fabulous political resume. It's a time for leaders to step up and to do good work. And I think I'm very equipped to do that. And so my 25 years of serving this community in the nonprofit space and executive space is really allowed me to be ready. It's, it's allowed me to be the type of person that sets goals. And it's okay if you fall down, you get back up and you keep showing up daily to serve the city that you love and boy do we need do we need those type of leaders and and i'm really grateful that the entire city council at this moment has our back we're all together on building these villages and that was something i do want to point out that's been very satisfying of late we have about 30 seconds left but i know on a lighter note you have some teams you're rooting for this weekend <laughs> yeah um so as a as a grad of university of oregon i Pretty excited that we're ranked third of the nation, but it's one game at a time. So we got to go down to the farm in Stanford and kick some butt. And then, um, you know, I'm an old school Oregonian, so you root for both the Beavers and the Ducks until you play each other, of course. But um, uh, that team from up north, uh, the Dogs, uh, the Huskies, are coming down to Corvallis, and you know they're they're, they're gonna they're gonna hopefully uh, suffer a defeat to the to the Beavers this weekend. Go Beavers, go Ducks. Thanks a lot, Absolutely. Commissioner. Always yeah. wonderful to have you here. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk. Join us next week when my guest is a young climate activist who's been called Oregon's Greta Thunberg. Hear how she's rallying local youth to demand state leaders take stronger action against climate change. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.